Hey everyone, a big welcome to the Forge Ahead Show, hosted by me, Nick Elston, inspirational speaker, creator of unique mental health engagement strategies, a transformational speaking coach, and a mentor to have in your corner. The Forge Ahead Show brings you the storytellers, the influencers, the people who have gone from adversity to excitement, forging something better, something beautiful, something powerful. So stay tuned. Dive in and be inspired by today's very special guest. Hey everyone, a big welcome back to the Forge Ahead Show, Season 2, Episode 4. See Alex, I thought I was going to slip up then, but I did it all right actually. Uh, <laughs> Let's start as we mean to go on, disarming truth. I'll tell you exactly the truth. Nothing's edited from this show, and I will have forgot that usually. So I have an amazing guest on today um, to follow the trend of the first three of season two so far. So to recap, we've had Taz Thornton, we've had Brady George, and we've had Brad Burton, and today is another motivational, inspirational guy. I've had the pleasure of sharing a stage with Mr. Alex Williams. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Now, okay, I'm going to let Alex introduce himself in a second because actually his list of accolades is, is kind of that long, literally. Um, but in terms of how we met, we met through initially social media back in the days when I was on it. Um, we also then started chatting about our passion for speaking and especially when it comes to the relationship with mental health and, and inspiration and motivation and coming away from a certain adversity. And I was so impressed by Alex, I actually booked him to speak at one of my speaking academies back in person, pre-zombie apocalypse, back in real life. And Alex wowed everybody. And, and I would absolutely recommend Alex to anybody looking for a speaker on this sub, on his subject. Um, but that's how we know each other. And actually, since then, we just kind of stayed in touch. Even through the pandemic, it's been quite difficult to maintain that sense of community sometimes. But we've done it. And I'm delighted he's given up our time. But less about the why, more about the who. Alex, tell everybody about yourself. Oh, thank you very much. That was a lovely introduction there, Nick. Um, so, yeah, yes, I'm award-winning. I call myself a self-help speaker. Um, mm. Maybe I need to think about what, if I need to change it. But, yeah, I see myself as a self-help speaker. But I'm also an authenticity coach and a mental health nurse of 16 years. And I work with millennials and Gen Z, helping them to kind of bulletproof their mental health by creating life on their own terms. So... Brilliant. Thank you so much. I think also important to to kind of pick up on this point, you're also the regional vice president for the Professional Speaking Association. I am indeed, yes. So again, uh, in really good company when it comes to speaking, and we will be talking about that kind of the, the speaking journey, should we say, mm -hmm. and its important role in your progress, both personally and professionally, as we, as we both discussed before, off camera. Um, <laughs> The, the the kind of the Gen Z and the millennials thing, for those who are not familiar with those terms, because my audience is quite wide ranging, yeah. give us a little insight into, into both what those categories are and what they mean. So I can't even remember, to be honest, the age limits, but millennials are basically people my age from, I think it was 81 to about 1996. And so then okay. Gen Z were 97, basically to about five or six years old. So it's basically working with young adults, young people my age and, um, and because they're the people I just love working with, you know, yeah. I've, 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 years, I've spent people working with, oh, not that I have a problem with older people, so don't take that the wrong way. But, <laughs> but yeah, that, I, I like you, you know that. So yeah. I'm not going to take anything the wrong way. It's good. No, but the, for me, it was like kind of one, why I like that is because I, I always go, what would I would have, what do I wish I had when I was younger? 
Mm. So anyone my age and younger, I'm kind of like, what can I teach them? Not just what I know from my own experience, but what I know from my clinical expertise to help them really become the best version of them. Because in my experience, that's the antidote to poor mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually, I'm at an age where I get put out of any bracket. So I'm good. I'm pretty safe not to remember which one I am because I'm not any of them. I'm just a 40 something. I think that's the last tag that I get given, which is good. Um, So you mentioned young adults and and especially, I guess, this year, we're recording this at the moment uh, in April. I took the calendar in April 2021. It's that kind of year, isn't it? Yeah. Um, And over the past year, I certainly found an increase in the kind of work I'm doing with schools and and colleges and universities, whereas before I wasn't really dealing with anybody kind of like below year 10. On the flip side, also looking at communities such as entrepreneurs, uh, tech hubs, those kind of environments where still very much young adults, but all of their challenges have been compounded by the events of the past year. Now, I appreciate everybody has their own set of challenges and perspectives and beliefs and everything else. However, there is certainly uh, so much work for you to be done in your space. And I'm so pleased you're championing that kind of uh, stage of life, I guess. Thank you. But yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, I guess in our, in our modern day society, we probably didn't really envisage having anything like this happening because I guess usually in historically it's been wars, isn't it? That's kind of defined errors. You know, when you look at World War II and the, the, the wide war, the wide trauma that that caused people so i guess really having a pandemic where suddenly like i think all of us kind of played most of us were like oh it's not going to amount to much but actually it's had a huge significance on our livelihoods and our quality of life Mm. especially for younger people i mean we know that we are social species and as much Mm. as we like to some of us like to it's good to be independent and to you know be good in solitude and like who you are that's really important we do rely on other people but equally for young people you know having any aspirations and goals they may have had especially those that go picking GCSEs picking going to sixth form going to university leaving university people are just starting in their careers people who've got young and who've got jobs and are thinking where do I go next it's cut the uncertainty there that 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 has a huge impact on our mental health and obviously we have to learn to live with uncertainty but I don't think any of us anticipated the level of uncertainty that would come with a pandemic And we're still there now. Up for this. We yeah. are, yeah. Abs- and actually, potentially, from a, a mental health perspective, yeah. I think maybe the biggest, biggest challenges are yet to come. Yeah. Um, there's a huge piece at the moment about, for example, you, you cannot be told for a year, stay home, save lives, yeah. without the, the kind of the default setting being outside is not safe, inside is safe. Exactly. Um, and, and there's so many things along the way that have, have had to be done to kind of safeguard us. However coming away from that point will have the same kind of challenges but in reverse 100 100 and and to be honest it's a bit it's unknown because this is the thing it, it it's uncertain for those people living it but it's also unknown for us people in the mental health field because we don't really know how it's going to pan out because equally when adversity hits some people can go the opposite you know mm. some people can suddenly go actually you know what i've grown from this you know i've learned so much about myself uh, i've developed all these coping skills and now i just can't wait to get going so mm. I think in a way we know that it's probably is going to ha- there's going to be a group of people who are going to be very much impacted by it. But there's also going to be some who have grown from it. 
And kind of that's what I think getting in early and helping these people is the key, like with all mental health problems, because that's why I do what I want. That's why I left kind of working full time in the NHS to do what I do, because I was like, actually, early intervention is better than mm. waiting for someone to land on your doorstep with a diagnosis when actually if the, when they were going through heartbreak, failure, loneliness, these things, they're the things that people are probably experiencing right now, especially loneliness and isolation. We can help people combat that and we can hopefully prevent people growing into having these really um, detrimental mental health diagnoses that might take years of therapy and intervention to heal. So. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, the, the phrase, you probably heard me say this at Speaking Academy, that the, the phrase that I love is that every storm runs out of rain, that, exactly. that that storm, whatever storm we've been through, we've at least survived because we're here. Most of the time we thrive. Most of the time we evolve. We don't recognise it at the time. No. But it actually, it's building that resilience piece. It's it's teaching us new lessons, as harsh as those lessons are and as brutal as they can be sometimes. Exactly. So I think looking back, you can you can certainly see that before. So we've got to try and apply the same principles now. 100%. Even though it seems quite bleak. I think, I'm not sure what you've experienced, especially with young adults, it's, kind of a, it's a generation where we kind of thrive on aspiration and hope of something better, mm. where we're going, goals and that kind of stuff. It certainly impacted that from, from the kind of feedback and from audiences and stuff. And not sure if you experienced the same, where if that's been impacted, we don't know when this is going to truly end, what the end even looks like. Mm. So actually it's forced us all back into that kind of survival mode, hasn't it? So exactly. in terms of kind of aspirations and goals, where would you say you get your, your inspiration from when actually the chips are down? I think it was something that's taken me a while to grow from my own experiences. But for me, it's always, it, it comes back to what, I, I love the saying that the Lao Tzu, I think it was Lao Tzu said it, a journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. And I think that always reminds me to come back to the moment because we like, we like to, we, we can get caught, we can visualise and dreaming and we get caught in this dream state of, oh, I need to be there, which might be five years, 10 years down the road. But actually where you get, where you, you how you get there is what you do today. And that doesn't mean that, obviously I talk about once, that doesn't mean you have to make massive changes. It doesn't mean you have to take, you know, huge action, but it mm. means that how you look after yourself today will determine how you perform tomorrow, will determine how you perform the next day. And I think it's always important to bring it back to the moment. Now that doesn't mean that the moment has to be good. That doesn't mean we have to sit there, be happy, clappy, you know, that toxic <laughs> positivity. Oh, everything's amazing because I tell you what, that's, yeah, more true. that's more detrimental to your mental health when you don't acknowledge the actual what's wrong in your life. So you can, because when you acknowledge what's going on, you can, you're in the power to change it. It's not about mm. dismissing it. It's not about um, saying everything's okay. It's actually going, well, actually things are, aren't very good at the moment, but what can yeah. I do to maybe look after myself? What can I do to change the situation? Maybe I can't do anything right now and I need to just sit there with it and be okay and just look after myself a bit better. And I think in those moments, which don't get me wrong, I'm not a master of it. I think naturally the way our minds are wired, we're, we're predicting the future and worrying about the past and having to be present can be hard. But I try and remind you myself. And, what, yeah. and it's so refreshing to hear somebody else say that as well, because the perception is people will watch one of your talks, one of my talks and think, hallelujah, these guys are cured. Absolutely yeah. not. We manage our stuff daily. Exactly. More than that. <laughs> and it's, it's so true though, Nick. And I think sometimes we can, in, this is probably a social me media age. And I, I, I'm not, I'm one of the people who sits on the fence about that, how detrimental social media is to people. But mm. one thing I find we do, do we, we look at people and we idolize them and we think, oh, look at them. They've got all the answers. And maybe, you know, in the self-help world, we see these people who have hacks and they, they think they've got it all figured out how they can heal your trauma, your anxiety, your depression. 
But the reality is they have their problems. You know, I think when you know when you solve one problem, you just create another problem. Really, you're never <laughs> yeah. you're never going to be problem free. But the key to all of it is to remember you're in the moment and make sure you're heading the direction that you actually want to go. You know, that's yeah. really a huge, huge aspect because most of us are chasing lives we have zero interest in. <laughs> yeah. And and then, and then you wake up. Go on. So after you, buddy. No, then you wake up one day. Maybe like I did a few years ago, or sometimes people in the later on, they go, how the hell have I ended up here? <laughs> what is going on? You know, literally, you know, and, and you see it, don't you? When you yeah. see people interviewed on their deathbeds, like what do they wish they had done with their life? They, I wish I hadn't cared what other people think. I wish I had spent more time with these certain people. I wish I had spent more time doing this. And I think if we start now doing that, like, and actually mm. what really matters to me and that in the moment and focusing on that, and it, it, it helps our mental health so, so much. Absolutely. So that's what I love talking about you. My mind's going to different rabbit holes about where we go with this now. Because <laughs> there's no scripts. There's no there's no format to this. So, okay, of all the things you just mentioned now, I want to mention a couple specifically that will probably take us down another hole. So let's go with this one. Mm. I think certainly you mentioned about social media. So mm. I, I made a decision in April last year to, to leave the social socials so Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, for me, I think I still maintain that kind of uh choice element i think when we struggle with with our mental health challenges then sometimes we we kind of sacrifice the right to choose and how we immerse in stuff so i don't think it's the platforms per se it's how we immerse ourselves in those platforms 100%. and certainly at that time that i didn't feel strong enough to make good choices yeah. and as you can say very easily have a, a defining effect on your mental health yeah um but it's not the platforms and you're quite right but the generation that you're working with um absolutely that's up there that in, unless they get the, the likes and shares and retweets they think that actually their opinion doesn't matter or it's not yeah. valid um that's definitely a risk isn't it for yeah. to put our kind of accountability and worth in public opinion it's kind of black mirror stuff going on isn't it it is and it, it, it and the thing is you know it's not like i always thought one of the things we've been gifted with as, as a human race as we've evolved is agency. But as we're growing, when we're younger, especially when you're like early teenagers and stuff, we know that as we start to separate from our parents and figure out our own identity, I think as the brain evolves, we're more concerned about how we fit into the wider society as an individual. But what that means is we're growing, we, we, we have to fit in. We have to fit mm. in because we, so what do we do? How can I fit in? Well, if I post a picture up of me with my shirt off as a male, maybe some girls will like me. So we're constantly seeking external validation, which is because of how we just evolved. And it, it takes some time for that to, 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 uh, till we get to a bit when we're a bit older. And I think naturally as our brains evolve, we start questioning and go, oh, actually, why did I do that? But I think that's all part of the growth process. But it yeah. is, it, it is like that. It's why I think it is so, it can be harmful. It's because there is that that strong desire as a teenager to fit in because we know what school was like. There's no, there's no, I think we can do all the bullying intervention we like, and I think it, we should do it. But I think actually it's all part of that journey of school. You know, school was awful for lots of people because you had, to, you were trying to figure out who you were. You were trying to avoid basically, how do I not get picked on? How do I not make a fool of myself? How do I not look an idiot? So we naturally gravitate to groups that where we prevent that from happening to ourselves, most of us will, but in the process, we sacrifice what really matters to us, us because we think, well, maybe I have to go follow this thing because I'll fit in more when actually what I want to do is this. And that's how I think as we get older, we create more mental health problems because we like lose touch with who we are to fit in. 
so yes yeah, so social media really kind of it, we always have a choice but it's hard it's harder for young people when you literally your desire is to fit in and be accepted by yeah. your peer group and i think that's the problem with social media absolutely i think you also touched on something else which is around that self-help speaker now i really love that i've not heard that term before and i think it's really powerful because i think it really for me it encapsulates what you do because mm-hmm. what we haven't got into yet is actually there is a a personal story there's a lived experience behind your professionalism behind the uh, registered mental health uh, yeah. version of alex um if you're happy with that you're happy to share just your kind of background and your story on that yeah of course so um when i grew up i, I was only three my mum and dad split up and my mum my dad had an affair so my mum split up and she remarried into an abusive relationship so i witnessed domestic abuse i witnessed my step siblings getting beaten up lived in fear myself of getting beaten up by my stepdad and um it's kind of very hard for me at the time but you know you're young so you just get you adapt you don't really know any better that's just we, we're not think, we don't aren't able to think for ourselves oh that's wrong we just know that it feels scary or it doesn't but then when i got to the age of eight um, i was woken in the middle of the night by police officers taken to the police station and told that my mum had been murdered in the room next door to the one i was sleeping in now that was probably the, that's the, that's the big story. But what happened from that point was um, I was raised by my dad who did his best, but he was all about financial. He's basically, if I buy you all this stuff, you'll be okay. But I never really had that emotional support. And I, as I grew up, I think I started to define myself by the bad things that happened to me. So it, obviously my mum, for me, my mum had been murdered. So, and for me, that meant, Oh, I've already got, I've already, I'm, I'm not going to have the opportunities that other people have because I'm just not good enough. It's kind of my mum's left me. But also as I grew up, my dad, I had to kind of meet my dad's expectations, which were never really what I wanted to do other than football. But I felt like more like I was he was following my football and supporting me because it made him look good. And um, so as I grew up, I kind of re- I never really met my dad's expectations. I didn't have a mum. So I kind of always felt like uh, I was um, not good enough. But equally, because I have money, the outside perspective was, oh, he's a rich kid. He's got money. He should, he's, you know, I lived in a little village where people didn't have that. So people were like, oh, my God, you should be grateful. So I was constantly conflicted with, I feel like I don't really like who I am, but I feel like I shouldn't moan about it and complain. So I basically bottled everything up. So really aspirations that I had growing up, like maybe I was into music and stuff like that, but never followed it because I thought I won't. My dad was like, you probably won't make any money from that. So you should be a lawyer or a doctor. But as I failed at what other people expected me to be, my expectations of what I could do lowered and lowered and lowered until about about three or four years ago, actually, where I was about to get married. And this and because I basically had a career as a mental health nurse, I only fell into it because I got paid to do it. It was literally someone else said, why don't you do it? And I fell into it and it was like, okay, this is actually right. And I think it was, it was def- I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I'm so glad I did it. It was definitely the right calling for me at the time, but it was never anything I really wanted to do. It's just, oh, I can do this. It's relatively easy to get paid. But anyway, a few years ago, I kind of, as I grew up, I thought, well, I'm just going to be a mental health nurse and maybe I can have a wife and kids. And that would be it. That would be my life because I can't mount to anything else. I'm not clever enough. I'm not good enough for anything else to make anything of my life. I'm just going to be a steady mental health nurse who gets married and have kids. But when the, we got to a point where I was engaged and when that, that all fell apart and literally it was almost like all these wounds that I experienced were just glaring at me like, oh my, and I'd never been as low as I ever felt like the losing my mum. My dad didn't really want much to do with me or didn't really appear to want much to do with me. And 
I didn't believe I was good enough for anyone. Another relationship's failed. I have nothing to give. And it got to the point where I thought, I just don't want to be here anymore. But like a lot of the, the hero stories go, not that I'm a hero, but like it was that, you know, I was literally contemplating killing myself and thinking of plans and doing stuff like that. And, and I'm, it was actually the Viktor Frankl book, Man's Search for Meaning. I was reading that at the time and it was weird because I already had ideas in my career about how I was feeling quite um, disillusioned with mental health. Like I mentioned, I've mentioned it before, Nick, but like we tend to wait if there was a scale of naught to 10, not being I'm absolutely fine, 10 being, oh, my God, I'm having a I'm, I'm having a psychotic episode or whatever. I'm really unwell. Or I'm depressed or I'm literally I need to be admitted to hospital. Most people don't get support they need till they're at nine or 10. And I remember thinking for years, like, why aren't we helping these people when they're at three or four? Because surely we're preventing years of therapy if we can do deal with stuff. So anyway, I was reading Man's Search for Meaning because I had this idea of doing talks about aspects of life that impact people's mental health. Because And that's when I started doing more speaking. But it was that book, Man's Search for Meaning, when he said, like, everything can be taken from you except your, your ability to choose how you respond and your ability to choose your own way. And it was almost like, I know a lot of people, when you say these moments, but you have these epiphanies, I was like, it was almost like, oh, I had a choice. I didn't realise I had a choice that actually it wasn't up to what the world around me believes I could do. It's up to what I decide I can do. And that changed everything. Now it doesn't mean I woke up the next time. I was like, oh my God, life's amazing. You know, and I was part of, as I say, the happy crabby club. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. It, took, it was a process of kind of, okay, well, what if I have a choice, what do I want? And also what do I need to kind of heal? And that's when I came up with my model kind of to what I believe is the un, underpinning what is so important to not only, because there's so many modalities out there, right? You can go for CBT, you can have psychotherapy, you can even go to some more spiritual stuff that whatever works for you, I believe that it's kind of what makes you think, oh, I can heal, will kind of help you to an extent. But I was like, well, what's underneath all that? Because, you know, we know that everything works for some people, but why doesn't it work for others? And I realized it was down to three things. So I, I but I naturally figured those three things out as I went along. And that was, first of all, responsibility. As I say, the choice, it was down to me to sort my life out. It was then release. I call it release the pain because it was like, what wounds have I had that have caused me to doubt myself? So where, where have I made a, a decision about myself because of what happened? Because that's what tends to happen, isn't it? We Bad things happen to us and the outcome becomes who we believe we are. So we fail because we believe we're a failure or we get ignored because we believe we don't matter or that we got dumped because we believe we're unlovable. So what wounds did I have that were holding me back? And then the third R, the third section is, um, I call it relentless self-belief because it, it's an R, <laughs> but it's <laughs> literally about taking that one step at a time because we all want, we, we live in an Amazon prime world where we can click next day delivery and we think everything will be fixed. The reality is like life, you're constantly growing, you're constantly evolving. There's going to be ups and downs, but you just have to take whatever's in front of you right now and deal with that and just do the best you can. But over time, when you do a little and a little and a lot, as you take responsibility for your life, as you let go of those kind of wounds you had, then you literally come out the other end and you're like, Oh, I can create a lot. You know, I'm creating a life now that I actually want. And I've never had that before, which is amazing. But that's why, you know, working with people, I relate my story into my clinical experience to help people, young people to create their own stories because we don't. I, yeah, that is the antidote, in my opinion, in my experience, the mental health. It's not waiting 
till you hit rock bottom it's like how can i start creating life that's aligned with the values and the things i actually want to do in my life what matters to me because you're the one that ultimately gets to decide where your life goes it doesn't mean you're going to hit every single target and every goal but surely it's better to aim for something that matters to you than not that i'm going to poo poo like a call center job or insurance job but say that you had no idea but you just fell into that and you end up doing that and you're waking up every day and you're going oh am i really doing this but many people believe that's what they have to do but it doesn't i don't believe it is you can find something that's more aligned with what really matters to you so wow geez thanks so much for sharing that that's all right it's really powerful right so many rabbit holes again so where do we go (laughs) This is it. You just you throw me more questions I can actually come up with with answers. So I guess with your experience professionally and and medically, um, one of the most important things I guess is the things that I try to to work through with people uh, in terms of audiences. Uh, I don't do what you do as I'm not solution led. I don't work with clients on mental health, for example. Um, so I guess one of the things I address with audiences is the difference between mental illness and mental health. Yeah. And actually, once we can separate those two things, yeah. we can focus on what we can work on. Yeah. And most of the time, it is mental health. Yeah. So considering it a muscle, what can we do yeah. each and every day? And it really lines up well with what you, how you work with clients to produce positive yeah. change. But mental health gets a bad rap, doesn't it, as a term? I, it's just yeah. a neutral state, isn't it? It's just um, like physical health. It's yeah. just a thing. And the amount of people that say to me, Nick, I have mental health. Absolutely, you do. 100%. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, if it's so good true. or bad. That's a whole different thing. But it gets a bad rap, doesn't it? It hundred percent gets a bad rap, and I still it is it, it. We're still in the way. We're still trying to address that stigma. Now, I think there's obviously because of natu- over course of time, we had the lun- lunatic asylums and stuff like that. You know, you just say the word lunatic, and it it, it just comes yeah. with so much stigma, doesn't it? And and but what happened? You know, I I, I think there's there's two things. To, the way to look at it. a it's yes, there's the stigma, but also I I think we're starting to move. We, diagn- we use the diagnostic label of mental health when necessarily I don't think we need to use it. You know, like if you've got a stomachache, you know you've just got a stomachache. Mm. It could be related to anxiety and other things. But with mental health, we tend to put people in to little cups. Oh, here's the anxiety cup. You're the depression cup. You're the personality <laughs> disorder cup. You're the eating disorder. And, and what we do is say, well, this is the treatment you need. So what we do is we, we objectify subjective experience. But what we know is that everyone has their own story Mm. so why really we focus on the symptoms when really we need to focus on the story because it's the story that's created the symptoms and mm. in mental health i think if we moved away from necessarily a diagnostic label and just actually and this is what the trauma-informed approach does you know if you look at power threat meaning framework and if you've ever read the book like body keeps the score and stuff it's about what's happened to you because you don't wake up one day with a mental health problem you might wake up one day and go i need to go to the doctors because this isn't right but literally you just, unless you've had a head injury or you know we know this uh, hormonals or these hormonal situations we know especially with female postpartum sort of stuff and we also know that you know like maybe you've got an infection okay those things can cause mental health symptoms but generally stuff is going on prior to this moment doesn't mean it's a big trauma when i say trauma form not that everyone's had trauma i know that's quite buzz a buzzword and i've had to change the way i talk about trauma because i'm like well not everyone's had trauma but we have experiences that shape the way we see the world and that creates our mental health problems so when so we all have that so that's mental health now when it becomes a mental illness is then when literally we are unable to function um, as we need to does that mean we have to have a diagnosis i don't believe it does i think it's the way we 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 access health care support is why we need a diagnosis because i don't think 
sometimes but sometimes diagnosis validates people they go oh that's something wrong with me it's not necessarily something wrong with you it's just this is the collection of symptoms you're presenting with that are you know are because of a story that you've experienced so yes everyone has mental health not everyone has a mental illness but we're all sitting on that continuum that spectrum and that floats all the time you know and the I mean, the, the way to combat it is just to accept that, yeah, like you said, we all have physical health. We all have mental health. They're all one in the same, really. They both impact mm. each other. If we're not eating right, if we're not sleeping right, we're not exercising, we're not, you know, even now, like more evidence about how we breathe is so important. You think, well, I just know how to breathe, but you don't. Like, so many of us realise, actually, we don't know how to breathe that well. And, you know, but if we're not doing these things, simple things that we take for granted, then that impacts our mental health. Equally, if we're not working in jobs, if we're working in jobs we hate, we're staying in relationships that literally putting up with people who we don't really want to be with but because we're worried about being lonely stay with all these little things may impact our mental health and mm. and i think it's um the way we realize that i believe is that we normalize human experience so we recognize that we all have mental health we're all going to have ups and downs we're all going to experience bad times and good times and our mental health is going to fluctuate that's how we normalize it um because it's the, it's the byproducts that show yeah. before you're even thinking it's a mental health challenge so what i mean by that is that when when people may open up to me or somebody else they may say that they're feeling ag aggressive or, yeah. or lethargic or mm -hmm. sensitive or that's like the byproducts of, the, of what's going on so it's kind of like we treat the symptoms and not the actual problem exactly even when it comes to i mean one of the things i really try to do with what i do as a as a non-solution focused mm -hmm. person is to it's kind of people are waiting for permission to make positive change and also to recognize where that comes from. So yes. one of the things is kind of like, it's not necessarily, I don't talk about what anxiety is. I'll leave that to you and the professionals. That's not me. <laughs> what I talk about is how it can keep us from living a life on our terms, running a business on our terms. It keeps in our comfort zones, things that you may not attribute to having a positive mental health. Hmm. So why do people wait for permission to make positive change? I that's think, a big question we probably need a whole day of doing this and <laughs> well you know what i think it comes back to my story um not that you know from the constantly seeking validation for how mm. we feel from outside the world we never sit there and go well actually oh i feel sad because we probably go i feel sad and then go oh but i shouldn't feel sad or i i feel like this way and i shouldn't feel that way and that's when we come we i call it layering our emotions but really you know when you dig into people's emotions, usually the first, if people aren't used to expressing, the first emotion you counter probably isn't the one that's at the root cause of it. Because we're, we're, as we grow up, maybe you're told by your parents, for example, you're falling over, you're grazing there, you start crying and go, oh, you, you say you're a boy like me, maybe you were told, oh, boy, boy, men, boys don't cry. So you're like, oh, but I'm in pain, so what am I supposed to do with this pain? And yet, so you've got this feeling of, oh, I'm, 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 I'm sad, it hurts, but you're not able to express it because you're more worried about how the outside world perceives you. And because that's how we grow, mm. you know, we need to rely on our parents and society to tell us how to live when we're young. But I think what happens is where most of us are adults living with child's mentalities in that sense is that we don't really evolve from that point. We don't really go, oh, actually, I'm sad. Um, maybe I need to, oh, maybe I should change something about our life. We just accept it and then just carry on living. And that's why often you hear about people have to get to rock bottoms with a fight, you know, so yeah. they get to that point where they're like, I'm going to change. As they say, you know, until the, until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, people will not change. So we will put up with a lot <laughs> until, we're able, until we're willing to do anything about it. And you do see that big changes come from big events, big, yeah. big reactions, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. 
I think certainly that it seems as soon as we hit adult life, we need to set out on this mission to prove ourselves wrong. So to <laughs> kind of break that conditioning that we've had, the shackles that we've had. And I know kind of my, my mental illness certainly happened in my formative years. So even now, the ripples of that is still something you need to kind of either push back against or fight against sometimes to try to break that. Um, so, yeah, it's, I quite like that, though, that the fact that there's always something to kind of work for, work towards, yeah. or even work away from sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And I, I sometimes think that we can live in this, sometimes in more spiritual sense. I'm a, I'm a highly spiritual person, but I sometimes think we can chase this bliss from where we're literally transcending the human experience. But actually, I don't think it's about transcending the human experience. I think it's just about making the most of the human experience and acknowledging that you're going to feel bad one day, you're going to feel good another day and so really you know it's acknowledgement that we're all going to suffer the key is to create a life that's worth suffering for you know yeah. and that's well, why I I kind that. of get, that's cool you know if you, i love that you can you know you know what it's like you, you're doing something that you're really passionate about nick you do an amazing job and people love what you do but you're not you if you're honest you're going to wake up there's days where you're like i don't know if i could be asked to do this today i don't know if i could be bothered you know <laughs> yeah. I, I i should just pack it in and go do what i used to do you know and that's normal. Oh, definitely, I can definitely feel like a, a second showing of you coming back on again because things like imposter syndrome and all those things, it, we're not kind of impervious to those things. They happen to us a lot. And I think actually maybe the more that you put your, help, your head above the parapet, the more that actually happens because you're there to be kind of not shot at necessarily because sometimes we, we just need to get out of our own way. Yeah. But I love uh, Brad Burton was on uh, last time out on the show. Uh, Brad's a founder of Four Networking, a business network and lots of different things, motivational speaker. And one of the things he says is about uh, running your own race. There's a reason why racehorses wear blinkers. <laughs> I really like that because yeah. we get so distracted by what's going on around us and what yeah. we should be doing. And like you said, thinking that happiness is the neutral state. It, it's not. No probably chase that down and it, like you said it becomes toxic one of the things i wanted to mention before we do uh, kind of start to wrap up is around delivering this message that you have i mean you deliver it with such ease and i use that word advisedly because i've seen you deliver this in a live audience mm -hmm. and i know that you are managing your emotions whilst you are delivering this yeah so it's important to recognize that when you hear alex tell his story when you hear me do my story this isn't a case that it's uh cold it's not a case of it's doesn't it's not disingenuous but what we're trying to do is deliver it in a way that is being going to be received well and in a good kind of pace in a good place even uh by the audience um so when you deliver this story which is huge i mean it's off the scale huge Firstly, how do you manage your emotions when you're delivering this? And obviously, especially drawing on your experiences as, a, as the VP of the Professional Speaking Association. Um, but also, how do you deliver it in a way where your audience goes with you? Because people don't want to be walked through the experience of domestic abuse or murder or any, but they do want to know how it's affected you in terms of values and how it's helped you to evolve. And, yeah. So how does that actually look when you deliver your stuff and how did you start to manage that when you started to deliver? So the, I can remember the first time ever speaking and I nearly burst into tears because in a way, speaking for me has been quite healing. When I first decided I want to be a speaker, it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to tell my story. It was just to talk about those aspects of life. But people are like, no, you've got a story, you need to tell it. So for me, it, it came through experience. I mean, I always think about the audience really, rather than myself, I try and I, I manage that I'm quite good at managing my um 
physiology you know you know about breathing right you know mm-hmm. if i'm feeling ramped up which i often am because i'm an excitable person i am um, often you know it's just about exhaling making the exhales a bit longer than the inhale so you're naturally you know slowing down your nervous system um but for me it's 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 about obviously t- people like to hear stories but equally it's about how can you turn that into what was what did you learn from it is really how i go through that it, because obviously you don't i don't never set out to like make everyone cry and feel visible and I'm, it's never about being sorry for me but it's like the reason i'm doing it is because i want people to know that actually you can overcome this and my story isn't the worst in the world you know you don't have to read like victor frankl people like that and think god how did they get through that but for me it's just it's just about what what have i learned from all this so obviously you take them on a roller coaster, but you add a bit of humor, you know, you add a bit, I, 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 if people know me outside of speaking, like most of my friends say, you're always sarcastic. You're always taking the mix. So I try and bring a bit of humor into it and take the mick out of myself a little bit. But I also just try and empower people. I take it back to them. You know, it's not the, me speaking. Isn't about me. My story is a vehicle to help people change. So it's like helping people to write, well, how can I make it relate to you? You know, you're talking, I'm talking to you, Nick, right now, if I was doing my talk, how, how can I make you feel what I'm feeling, but how can I then make you feel empowered to overcome that? And that's what I try and do with my speaking. Really. It's, it's again, going back to the audience and not just me repeating this, what happened and then this happened and this happened. I felt like this and I felt like this, I felt like this It's like, this happened. How did you, you know, can you imagine what that must've been like? You know, what, have you ever been through a situation like that yourself, you know, where maybe someone's put you down? And then the mm. audience are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So so about- we're, we're definitely kindred spirits because yeah. I mean, that speaking as a therapy is huge. Yeah. I mean, the, the event that, that you spoke at for me, the Speaking Academy event, that like month on month, when you break down the demographic of why people are there, mm. it's not actually about speaking per se. It's like mental health yeah. from my perspective. Yeah. Um, it's about kind of maybe 15 people of the 20 are there to be able to represent their business or to yeah. deliver a message. And then you'll get a few people that are just there because they want to be pro speakers. And they want to go on a, that kind of journey, but I guarantee you of the room, two people are there because they don't feel that they're being heard at home. Yeah. And it's simple as that. It's, and it's, it's quite eye opening then that when we think about kind of speakers and speaking, um, especially people outside of our environment where we're kind of immersed in this stuff, they kind of just think it's kind of like, I'm a fat Tony Robbins, like, yeah, 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 kind of thing, that kind of a, and that's, but that's the perception of speaking. But for me, speaking is life. Speaking is business. It's about being able to deliver any message with that clarity and power emotion that you do brilliantly. And recognizing that your story is powerful in terms of the value and the messages and tips and the insights that you deliver to your audience but you will have somebody else with a whole different story will deliver a whole different set of stuff. Yeah. And this is where it's powerful. And I think you see this a lot in mental health, don't you? Yeah. Uh, that people will compare their lot against somebody else's. Well, who am I to do this? Who yeah. am I to speak about this? When Alex has gone through all this, it's not about yeah. that really. No. Because it's about you'll find your own audience, your own tribe, like social media, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. That your unique collection of themes and takes and delivery styles and everything else you certainly find your audience for your message and you've done that in bucket boats. What's next for Alex Williams? So at the moment, I'm just creating the process of, because I was doing talks at the university, kind of creating my own version of a course. Um, haven't, 
haven't identified a name for it. I think the name for these things is always the hardest bit. What do I call this thing? But it's basically <laughs> yeah. helping young people, young adults kind of create a life on their own terms. So it's setting that foundation for healthy mental health. It's not about say therapy. It's not all this sort of, it's just literally right. Are you, are you living a life that's in line with what you truly want? And that's the foundation of this. So it's about doing more talks around that, but also delivering that course to people, organizations, the education sector. So they can, because as I say, the, and the early, the younger we can get people to do, especially like teenagers and stuff, when they're like thinking, what do I want to do in my life? That, you know, this is really important. And also people, for, as I say, in, in, in um, you know, who are already working, you know, stuff like that in, court, in the corporate world, stuff like that is so important because yeah. it's not about, you know, it's not just about signposting people when they, we think they might have severe anxiety or depression. It's about actually, are you, how, how is life generally, are you creating a life that, really resonates with you and actually are you working in an environment that you really want to work in which i'm sure most employers if they were honest would be oh, i'll rather have people who work with you want to be here than people who literally hate it you know so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so given uh, again we're very similar in this way as yeah. well we give everything that we have yeah. we leave nothing on the pitch to use a sporting term um and accepting the fact as we said earlier on we're going to get days where we both feel yeah we all get that but what on the whole keeps you more at peak state? What inspires you? What kind of uh, habits or practices that you use to start to bring you back into peak state when you're not feeling life right now? So I think it, I have a morning routine. A morning routine's a dime a dozen at the moment. Everyone tell you which one to do, become a multimillionaire, <laughs> which I don't believe. I just think of multi, it's about being in the right state. But I also really, I'm just getting better. For me, it's about getting better in terms of identifying what's going on for me at the moment and reading my physiology because we're we talk a lot about mindset right and that people i think that believes think out thinking what they're feeling which we know probably isn't the healthiest because it works maybe if you're like you're on the you're 90 meters down 100 meter track and you need to put in a bit more to beat the person next to you but ultimately if you're working a 12 hour day and you're thinking oh actually if i stay up another three hours i'll get more done you're just going to affect your mental health so for me it's about being aware of how i feel on the day and not be, be more accepting of myself and not trying to judge myself so literally, rather than going, I need to do this, I need to do that. Saying, so, well, actually, do I need to do that? Is it okay to be have some time out? You know, it's balance. It's really balanced. That, but really, that all comes down to personal responsibility. Like I know that I am the one who needs to look after myself. And it's like, so what can I do for myself today that helps me to look after that? Um, but other than that, you know, it, it's it's speaking, it's journaling, it's finding the format where you can get mm. what's in here out. Really because Fantastic. you know what it's like nick you you can you can tell yourself you're the worst person in the world but actually when you get on paper you realize oh actually that's just a load of rubbish i'm just that's what i'm just thinking <laughs> but it's not true yeah. So, yeah yeah i get that journaling is so powerful you're quite right and it's yeah. something that i don't do enough to be honest but yeah. it's, it is healthy to get your, everything out of your head and just yeah. either into the world somehow yeah like you say it does give you that little bit of validation and I know we still both use the stage as a therapy space that we will we will happily share some that's on our mind right now, as we've probably done over this call. Yeah. Um, we will share stuff because it's relevant now and we want to get that kind of banks around an idea just to see like how you're feeling and is, is it valid for you? Is it, does it feel right? Um, well, and it's only when we get it out of our own heads, we can actually see what it looks like then, isn't it? Well, exactly. And the key to all of it really is, yeah, I think it's just to ask, when are you at your best? When are you at your when do you feel you? And I find that's a really powerful thing. You know, when you're, you know, we don't have to overthink stuff. 
it can sometimes be like, what do I enjoy doing? Well, sometimes I just put some music on and I'll dance around. Like I'd suddenly be like washing up and be like, oh my God. And then you just notice yourself <laughs> lift up. Like, you know, you love your country music and I'm sure it's the same. Oh. For you, but people love, that's it. Life is literally find the things that you enjoy and resonate with and build a life around that. And you'll naturally find yourself mm. gravitating into a better state. And I think really that's it. Amazing. As you quite, as you quite often uh, refer to, as you kindly did then, love my country music. <laughs> so one of the, the song titles that really fits this is Who Are You When No One's Looking? Yeah. And such a powerful question to ask yourself. Like Actually, when no one's around, you've got no one to live up to. I guess it's quite stoic in its way of thinking, really, that when exactly. you take away all outside influences, what are you truly about? When you're yeah. not doing something to share on Instagram, when you're not... It's interesting. I know when I first left social media for two weeks afterwards, I was taking pictures. Well, what, what am I going to do with it now? I was just taking them to share. I wasn't <laughs> taking them to look at at all. I was just taking them. Um, anyway, I digress. So um, the question I like to ask all of my guests on the show is this. So I am going to set the scene. I am now the MC of O2 Arena. 20,000 people have paid their hard-earned money to come and hear you do your thing. I'm just about to introduce you to the stage. Your walk-on music fires up. What is that song? So the song is, this is hard to pick because I have such an eclectic taste. One day I like listening to heavy metal, disco, 80s, rap. But I'm a, I'm a metalhead, a metalhead, punk, hardcore at heart. And I get a bit bored with all the airy, fairy, self-help stuff with like pan pipes and stuff. I'm like, oh, go away, will you? So I'm, I've decided I'm like the heavy metal, the self-help guy. So there's a song called Divine Apprehension by Power Trip. And it is literally a really hard heavy fresh song but it's the intro because it just kicks in and it ramps me up and it's literally so fast and uh yeah because I, I, I obviously you don't tend to play the whole song when you're walking on it's like what, <laughs> what's going to kick in so if I was playing like you know I probably wouldn't want Dire Straits money for nothing because it takes a while to build up because <laughs> yeah. people wouldn't have heard anything but with this it's like straight in I'm like yes I'm ready to go now I know That's it's not everyone's on. cup of tea but it's my song so that's yeah. gone on the playlist. Love that. That's never been suggested before. So I'm looking forward to checking that one out. I'm sure it's going to be a... a I'm sure you'll hate it, Nick. You'll be like, what is this? Well, see, I again, without digressing too much, I grew up on... My mum was uh, is a country music fan. My dad's a heavy metal fan. Mm. So I grew up as a hybrid of these two things. Nice. So I would go from listening to like Maiden to country and then right back to like Metallica. So it was kind of that kind of metal. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I have got, I do get that. I have got kind of a, a, a kind of a harder side to, than the countryside too. So. <laughs> um, great. Thank you so much for being an amazing guest on the show. Genuinely so humbled of what you shared with us. Everyone would have learned and have been inspired a lot by what you said. So thank you. Um, I strongly recommend you connect with Alex. Alex, where can people reach you? They can reach me on so Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok. And it's my handle's at the Alex J. Williams. I oh, know at the the Alex J. Williams. I always have to remind myself, the Alex J. Williams is my <laughs> handle on all the on the social media platforms. And just to double check, the links are in the bio as well. So please do uh, check Alex out. Please do connect and follow and subscribe and everything else you can do it, uh, nowadays. But for now, Alex Williams, big round of applause. I'm clapping myself. Sorry, top man. <laughs> yeah, do it. Why not? Do it. Why not? Uh, top man, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll have you back on again very soon. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me.
Thank you very much and take care everyone. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. Please do subscribe and please do follow us and all the other things that you can do. And stay tuned for our next episode. I've got an amazing array of guests coming up over the next weeks. These are now weekly. We've got a whole flow of people coming through. So stay tuned and I'll see you soon. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's a wrap. A big thank you for tuning in to today's show. Please stay tuned and hit subscribe for future episodes bringing you amazing guests, sharing amazing content and amazing insights. Really excited to bring you these. The Forge Ahead Show is sponsored by nickelston.com. If you want to connect with me, you can find all the ways possible through the website. If you want to drop me a message, always great to hear from you. But in the meantime, if I don't catch you before, I'll see you at the next episode. And you take care, guys. Cheers now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.